Well, if you notice the uh, leaves also, uh, there were a lot more leaves at the beginning of the week, and I know some of the people have been uh, volunteering and, uh, and helping collect those, and there's a trailer in the back if you want to collect leaves, but I also heard this morning that God works in mysterious ways. You uh, heard maybe and experienced some of that strong wind last night, so I think the leaves were kind of disseminated maybe to our neighbors instead, so, well... Well, whatever's left, if you'd like to uh, help out with that, you have a bit of time, maybe sometime during the week, you can stop by and there's uh, rakes and things you can help out with that. Well, um, I also wanted to just uh, pass on, I want to pray in a moment, uh, Bob Poyer, I understand that his mother passed, passed away just this week and our condolences to you this morning. Oh, wow. Okay, just this morning. And uh, Annie Gerbrandt, your brother passed away. And yeah, this uh, recently as well. And so it's uh, also reminding this season of anticipation that there's also uh, empty places that are going to be around the table for many. Let's pray together this morning. Oh Lord God, we thank you that you are the, the great giver of life. Not only of this earthly life, but Lord, you are the one who came to offer us eternal life, to take the sting out of death that we might uh, experience absence from our loved ones, Lord, only temporarily, that we might know in hope that there is a day, Lord, when you will restore all things, when we will be reunited with you in your heavenly home. And Lord, in the meantime, we wait. And Lord, we wait for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And we see and experience places around the world, but Lord, also within our own neighborhoods, within our own homes. Lord, conflicts that erupt on freeways in the midst of gunfire, where people are, even children die of disease where people are displaced. Lord, we are a people who need our hope renewed so often, and we thank you that you are the God of hope. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and, uh, and our minds anew this day as we open up your scripture, Lord, that we would see you, hear from you anew today. Amen. Well, the Advent season is the most wonder-filled time of the year, isn't it? Hmm, I heard a laugh there. Well, I know it can also be the most stress-filled time of the year with so much to do to get ready for Christmas. And I know when we were putting up the, some of us were putting up the display this week, there were moments of chaos and uh, <laughs> happening for sure. And for many others, it can also become the most debt-filled time of the year especially if we buy into all of the advertising, the latest must-have toys, gadgets, and getaways. And for some, it can be the most sorrow-filled time of the year when we painfully miss those who have gone on to the other side whose presence was so much a part of the previous years. Yet whatever else it may be, this season is the most wonderful of all, the one of wonder. And what ultimately makes it so wonderful is the story that we read and sing and inhabit, right? We, we live 
and dwell into this story. This story has so much to savor. Each year I'm gripped by the new things that strike me and come out. Friends, there is good reason why this story has inspired more music and painting and intellectual grapplings than any other story in the history of the world. This is the story that fulfills the longings of the stories that so many cultures have created to try and make sense of life in this world. This is the most wonderful time of the year because of the most wonderful story ever told. A story that I might add is so very, very true. This is truly good news, not fake news. So where shall we begin to live into this most wonderful story ever told? We could pick up the story at the very beginning. For like the source of a, of a river, the promise of Jesus coming began with a trickle all the way back in Genesis 3. The first promise and prophecy of a Savior was given at humanity's lowest point, when it seemed like all hope was lost. God kept people's hopes alive through the prophets, renewing and deepening his promise promises through them, preparing his people for the day when the long-awaited hero of the story, the Messiah, would appear on person in, on, in the stage of human history. Isaiah chapter 9, the verses that we read this morning, or the songs that we sing, Come thou long-expected Jesus, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Luke, in his gospel, prepares his readers for the coming of the hero, of the Messiah, not by taking us back to the very beginning, like the gospel of John does. In the beginning was the word, John does that. But Luke does it by introducing us to the faithful Israelites who have pinned all of their hopes on God's promise to send the Messiah. Now, while many look to places of power and influence for him to appear, it is not through the strong and powerful that God makes his appearance and his most lasting impact. Rather, it is through deeply humble and devout people like those we meet in Luke. I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I know I'm not beginning with Luke 1, and uh, it's because I want to focus on these characters of hope. Luke chapter 2, and we're beginning at verse 21, and read to uh, verse 40. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the people brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel the tri- from the, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Well, Luke begins this part of the story with a family trip to the temple. Now, the temple in Jerusalem was not only the worship center for all God's people, it was also the center of Israel's hopes and affections, which is probably why the temple plays such a central role in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 1, like right at the beginning, begins with Zechariah's vision, where? In the temple. And if you actually turn to the very end of Luke, it ends with Jesus' disciples continually at the temple, it says, praising God. Like spiritually faithful Jews, Mary and Joseph visit the temple in order to follow the requirements of God's law. Now Luke wants us to know that Jesus grew up in a family that carefully observed and kept the law of God. No fewer than five times in the text, Luke tells tells us that they did everything required in the law. They circumcised their son on the eighth day. They give him the name Jesus just like the angel Gabriel had told them to. As God commanded in Exodus 13, remember we were in Exodus just last week, there the firstborn, they consecrate the firstborn to the Lord as they were told to do for over a thousand years. And they offer the sacrifice for Mary's purification after childbirth. And through this, Luke is showing and telling us that Jesus grew up in a home that were of parents that loved the Lord and followed his ways. Faith, all the way back then and continues today, is primarily caught and taught by parental modeling. Now, of the various reasons Mary and Joseph came to the temple, Luke highlights one in particular, the dedication of their son to the Lord. And it is while they were faithfully following God's will that their attention is suddenly arrested by an old man in the temple who comes and he takes their son into his arms and he starts and he begins to sing. I wonder, wow, that must have been surprising, yes? But not scary in a culture where elders are honored and revered and especially in a place of the temple. Luke has prepared us for this moment 
by telling us several things about Simeon. And one is that he was a man of great hope. He was a man of great hope, who, he says, was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is the comfort of Israel. Because when the Messiah was come, that's what he would do to comfort his people. Now, some of you are waiting to get something very special, maybe this season, maybe this coming year, and so was Simeon. Indeed, we discover that Simeon not only had, you know, he didn't have a Christmas wish list, but he had what we call a bucket list, right? Thing, something, or rather someone he desperately wanted to meet before he kicked the bucket, before he died. And waiting for the consolation of Israel was a way of saying he eagerly hoped for, he expected the Messiah to come and comfort Israel just as the prophet Isaiah had promised. If you've listened ever to the Handel's Messiah, it's right there in that one of those opening songs, Comfort ye, right? And he's putting those words of Isaiah. This was what the people were longing for under this long, long oppression. And if the Messiah was going to come, surely he would come to the temple, which they believed was the center of the world, God's home on earth. And Luke, he describes Simeon not only as a man of great hope, but also a man of godly character. He says he was righteous and devout, and the Holy Spirit was on him. He is clearly a person who walks and talks with God. So if anyone could be expected to have a word from the Lord, it was him. And as a person of spiritual integrity, what he said would have carried weight. I think about the influence of, I had an Uncle Jake growing up. And my Uncle Jake, he was a lay minister in the church. He farmed as well. Um, but he was a man of great integrity. Not a, you know, a, not really a, a loud or boisterous man, but a person of integrity. And you could have asked anybody in the community, what do you think of Jake Croker? And they would say, that's a man of integrity. And I think Simeon is someone like that. And Luke says that it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. I wonder, how did he know that? How was that revealed to him? It doesn't say, but it does say that he knew it was a voice, obviously, he could trust. And it was a God-given promise. And what a promise that must have been. All these people had been waiting for 100,000 years, and he is told, it's going to happen in your lifetime. Just wait for it. That must have stirred him to know the coming of the Messiah was so close at hand that he would live to see it with his own eyes. And as someone sensitive to the Spirit, Spirit's voice, it was no, only natural that he, it says, should be led into this temple at the very hour when Jesus is being publicly dedicated to the Lord. How moving that must have been for those who were present to see and experience this meeting of the very old and the very young. You see, the Lord had saved the high water mark of Simeon's life to be near the very end of his life. And at the very place that he had spent so much of his life worshiping God and praying for the Messiah to come and to comfort his people. 
And it is highly fitting that Simeon praises the Lord with a song that weaves together both the sheer joy and delight of his present experience, as well as the glorious salvation that this child will bring to others, both Jews and Gentiles. The inclusion, the incorporation of the Gentiles is a promise that can be traced all the way back to Abraham who God had said would be a blessing to all the nations. And that was reaffirmed along the way, sometimes in very dramatic ways. Most people are familiar with the story of Jonah, the reluctant prophet. But in that story, it's their hated enemies, the Assyrians, that God has a heart for. The story is telling them, do not close off your heart to anyone. I am working in all people. And there's uh, verses in Isaiah, not Never read, heard them quoted, I don't think, growing up. But there, it's a powerful image that Isaiah chapter 19 gives. He says, in that day, and he's talking about this day of the Lord, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Not the highway where they used to come to war with one another. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. And the Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Those are usually words always reserved for Israel. My people, my handiwork, or my treasured possession, Segalah in, in Hebrew. And so this was God's vision all along the way, and Simeon was one of those people who got it. He understood that. And Luke tells us in in verse 33, that the, father, that the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I love that Greek word for marveled, thumadzo. It means it's jaw-dropping. Or as one of the uh, theological dictionary of the New Testament said, it serves to denote religious ex- experience face-to-face that transcends human possibilities. <laughs> They've just heard something that transcends human possibilities. And Simeon's words added to the wonder of what had already been revealed to them at this point about this child from the angel Gabriel who told them to name him Jesus. Jesus, because the name means the Lord saves. He will save his people from their sins. This news of Simeon, this message also added to the news the shepherds had told them what they had heard from the angel of the Lord. Unto you is born this day a Savior. He is Christ the Lord, the Messiah. And for Simeon to be able to hold the fulfillment of God's promise in his arms, even for that moment, moment was the most glorious thing he had ever known. Holding something tangible like that is incredible. Some of you who have been around know that I have a, a piece of, it looks like very ordinary part of a wall, concrete, but it's a piece of the Berlin Wall. It's a piece that was gathered up on the day when the Berlin Wall came down. My aunt and uncle happened to be there. This week I was at a cultural tea and Elaine and I were sharing a bit of our Mennonite background, heritage. My grandparents, for example, my sister, I mean my grandmother and her sister were separated by that Berlin Wall for years and years. 
And so when my aunt was there, at the, when the wall happened to be there on holidays while the wall was coming down, she gathered up a piece of the wall, pieces for each of her nephews and nieces so that we could have a piece of that history. I treasure this, but I think how much more did Simeon treasure holding the Messiah in his arms? Well, Simeon, he also had a further message to pass on about this child. But his next part of the message weaves together what commentator Fred Craddock calls a dark thread into what has been a bright tapestry of hopes, inspired by songs and prophecy. The life and ministry of their son will not be filled with all sweetness and light. This child is destined to cause the, ri- the falling and rising of many in Israel, Simeon tells her. By that, he means he will raise up the meek and lowly, those who are fallen down, and he will bring down the high and the mighty. Mary sings about this in her song. And as the prophet Isaiah foretold, he is to be a sign that will be spoken against. That is... Isaiah is talking about they're going to stumble over this stone that is central, the foundational piece in God's kingdom. They're going to stumble over that. Instead of seeing him as the stepping stone to the kingdom of God, they're going to stumble over him. And many took offense at Jesus' Jesus' pedigree, his background. You know, his background was questionable. You know, was they weren't really married and she was pregnant. You know, he were low-born, small, hick town. Instead of seeing God at work in the signs and wonders that Jesus would do, they said, oh, that's, he's empowered by the devil. That's devil work that he's doing because it wasn't fitting their expectations. And I was reminded the, uh, the effect that signs had on Pharaoh. We've been following Pharaoh and all those signs. Boy, they did not compel faith, did they? And Jesus' signs wouldn't either. They give opportunities for the faithful to believe but they cannot compel faith. Simeon also told Mary that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. As uh, one of my former professors, Dr. David Ewart, told us, in Hebrew psychology, people think with their hearts. We say we think with our heads. In Hebrew psychology, people think with their hearts. That's where the deepest decisions of life are made. What people are in their hearts is what they are in reality. And Christ's coming will reveal the basic attitudes of people toward God. Some will respond in faith and obedience, and others with hostility and animosity. They want to be the king of the castle. And this happens because as Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. See, if Jesus had only claimed to be a way or to be speaking my truth, no one would have any reason to be offended or be compelled to make a decision for or against him. But absolute truth, by its very nature, forces people to make a decision. After all, what do people do when their thoughts and deeds, we use the phrase, come to light? Well, they usually either try to hide in the shadows, making by making excuses, blaming others, any inquiry, you always see this happening, right? Or, on rare occasions, they come clean, we say, by 
agreeing with what the light of truth has revealed. In that decision, rising and falling, life and death happen. There is no other way. Israel's consolation and the Gentiles' salvation will happen, but it will come at a great cost. Indeed, Simeon describes the pain ahead for Mary. He describes it as being like a sword piercing her very soul. Now, there may be no greater pain for a parent than to experience kind of a reverse of nature in which a parent buries their child. In my experience as a pastor and also as a son, I have seen people do this. And I can say that Simeon's metaphor rings true. It is soul-piercing to bury, for a parent to bury their child. And how much more painful for Mary when she knew that her son was God's Messiah, God's hope for the world. And yet he was rejected by his own people and nailed to a cross in the most shameful of all deaths. The truth of Simeon's prophetic witness here is confirmed by a second witness. If you know your Old Testament at all, you will know that everything must be confirmed by at least two witnesses, and it is here, and here by the devout prophet, prophet Anna. Her spiritual vitality and prophetic gift were, it would seem, were known to all. She too joins Simeon on the temple stage precisely when and where Jesus is being dedicated to the Lord by his parents. And she too thanks God and adds to Simeon's testimony that this child was the fulfillment of what God's people had been looking forward to. She describes it as the redemption of Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem, the city of David, represented the whole of Israel's hopes of restoration. It was the great capital city, the center of the, where the temple stood. And yet, when Jesus would return to the city as an adult on Palm Sunday, as we call it, he would weep over Jerusalem, at least in Luke's gospel. And you know why? Luke tells us in chapter 19, verses 42 to 44, that they should have been embracing him and, and declaring their allegiance to him. But the people of Jerusalem did not recognize, he said, the time of God's coming, the long-awaited coming. He didn't fit with their expectations. He wasn't doing what they wanted him to do because he was calling the shots. And so often, God's way, we... We don't want to do it because it means giving up our way for his way. And yet they should have. The, that was the only way that led to life. And like these two elderly saints, Simeon and Anna, uh, Luke tells us their story because they represent what Fred Craddock describes as they're Israel in miniature and Israel at its best. They are devout, obedient, constantly in prayer, led by the Holy Spirit, at home in the temple, longing and hoping for the fulfillment of God's promises. Simeon and Anna and Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth are examples of true and faithful Israelites who put their hope and trust in the Lord. 
and who experienced the fulfillment of God's promises secondhand. No, no, firsthand. They didn't hear about them, they experienced them, they touched them, they saw God's promises fulfilled firsthand. Now theirs was not a pain-free life of faith. And seeing the fulfillment of God's promises often required a long season of waiting. But Simeon and Anna remind us that it is never a waste to wait on God or to wait for God. Who he is and what he is doing is always worth the wait. Well, I want to conclude with three challenges, three things I was challenged by in this story this week. One is the importance of faithfulness. The importance of faithfulness. Both human faithfulness and divine faithfulness. It was the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph in following God's ways, of Simeon and Anna in believing that God would come through on his promises that made, that gave opportunity for God. They were the ones welcoming the Messiah. It's the importance of faithfulness. And Jesus, the importance of faithfulness in Jesus' life. And also, secondly, the importance of godly saints. As I read this story, I... I Wondered, have you ever had a godly person speak into your life? Have you ever had a godly person, especially an older person, speak into your life? I was reminded, I have at a number of times. I'm a pastor. I became a pastor because of godly people speaking into my life. The reason I got baptized when I was a teenager was because of a godly person, not my parents, not my siblings, Somebody else in the congregation saying, Dave, have you ever thought of getting baptized? I hadn't until they said it. And that came, happened to come along the way. And how might God, maybe on the other way, how might God want to use you to bless a person in your life? You know, Simeon didn't retire from uh, serving God. It just took a different form. Sometimes maybe you have an opportunity to bless someone. Maybe it's a young person. You know what? Your word of encouragement, if God is prompting you to say something or do something, send a card, take them out, you know, give them a phone call, take them out for lunch, pray for them, whatever it may be, do it. Do it. And thirdly, I was challenged by what they were hoping for most. What they were hoping for most. Who they were hoping for. Because all of the what things would follow if it was who. You see, Simeon and Anna, they were people of great hope. In an, in an age where there was a lot of hopelessness. And our age is increasingly seems hopeless. And it is so important to be a people of hope. Peter will say to, that we should be ready to share the hope that we have within us. The prophets were people of great hope, and most of them lived in the darkest of times. They were like holding a candle of hope. Don't forget God's promise. God always keeps his promises. I was reminded of the, the book of Habakkuk. He's a very little-known prophet. You know, comes after one of the shortest prophets. And he 
is really discouraged by all of the hopelessness and the oppression happening around him. And yet, when God ultimately reveals himself and his character, he says, you know, even if, the, if all of the vineyards and things are barren, I will still wait patiently because he has hope in the character of God. God will come through. And I love what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He tells the Corinthians, I do not want you to be ignorant about all of the difficulties that happened in our lives. We despaired even of life. But this happened that we might not, you know, rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And then he has this line, on him we have set our hope. We've pinned our hopes onto him. And I don't know where you are at in this season of wonder. Maybe you're one of those who is feeling hopeless. I want to encourage you to do what these saints, Simeon and Anna, did, what Paul said he did. On him we have set our hope. As the worship team comes up, let us pray. Oh Lord, I thank you that you are the God of hope. And I thank you, Lord, that you give us witnesses to the hope, that hope is not misplaced when our hope is placed in you. And Lord, that you are also a God who speaks, not just one who spoke in the past, but Lord, I think you gave Mary and Joseph a word of hope when they would need it. In the days of darkness that would come ahead as Herod himself would threaten to kill the Messiah. And yet, Lord, you gave them promises. You had godly saints speak into their lives words of hope that would keep that hope alive in the midst of the darkness. And Lord, we are a people who need constantly to have our hope sustained. Lord, this day may we pin our hopes anew on you. And Lord, may you restore our hope for your glory. May we see your kingdom come and your will, Lord, done on earth and in our own lives as you long for it to be. Amen. Wow. All right. That was great. Well, I have, a, I have an assignment for you. Homework. This week... I want you to pray forward for someone or something in your life with a token of God's past fulfillment. This week, I'm going to pray. I'm going to have this with my Bible, piece of the Berlin Wall, a token of God's past fulfillment. Maybe there's something in your life that would be a token of that, something you prayed for in the past and God fulfilled that. And pray forward into the next. I was talking with someone recently how when a crisis comes in our lives, I said, my tendency, you first get hys hysterical. <laughs> and he said, and when you read in the scriptures, God always invites his people to become historical, to be rooted in what he's done in the past. And that keeps us rooted in, instead of becoming historical, hysterical into the present. And so I want you to pray forward with something, a token of God's past fulfillment.
If you would like prayer, uh, Rob and Catherine, part of our prayer team will be available here at the front on uh, my left, your right, to pray with you. And uh, also, if you're a part of the choir, practice. We're going to be performing very soon, so uh, if you can, you can get some, uh, take a, a break, visit a little bit, and then join us back up here for choir practice. And uh, yes, so I encourage you to find a token of God's past fulfillment as you pray forward into that. God is, is faithful. Let us go and serve Him. Amen.